sweet time with the Lord. It was actually on a, a, a boathouse on, on Bethel Island, so I would be sitting there looking over the water, spending some time with the Lord. And um, I had actually, when I started this week, I had actually written um, the, the, the chapters of the book. I had already put some, a lot of work into it over the last couple of years. So I already had, I don't know, like 10 to 15 pages written for each chapter already. But they were kind of, it was a hodgepodge. And I don't know if you've ever written, but it's a process. And uh, you're putting all these pieces together. So really what I did this week is I did a, a major rewrite of every single chapter. And each chapter was taking like six to eight hours to rewrite, something like that. Anyway, I did not get finished, but I'm darn close. I'm so close. I'm, I'm, uh, I finished nine out of the 12 chapters, enough to, to uh, send the nine chapters to um, an editor friend who's going to start working on it and, and uh, finish with the last, you know, do the last three, finish the last three chapters. So, um, again, the, the plan is for this book to be out in about two months. Um, actually, a whole lot sooner than that on ebook these days, like Kindle or whatever. So, we'll see. In fact, a little bit of what I'm going to share today, it comes from one of the chapters. Pages 61. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> Good to see you all. I heard, I heard there was a, a major accident on one of the freeways tonight, so I, I guess for a lot of you it took a lot longer to get here, or some people I guess never made it, but for those of you that persevered, thank you. I believe it's already been worth your while, uh, and God's going to make it more worth your while. It's, it's so important that we keep getting together. Remember that from Hebrews, um, I believe it's chapter 10, where it just says, hey, don't, don't don't get in the habit of, of uh, not getting together anymore. That doesn't work. We need each other. We need to be encouraged. Um, this world does wear us down. And uh, we uh, have to remember who we are. And so, in fact, I want to talk about that tonight. Let me see. There we go. Uh, my message for tonight is called Carriers of God's Glory. And um, this is kind of goes along with what Suzanne and I preached a couple of weeks ago. Um, before I talk about the glory that's in us, I want to talk about something else, though. Because if I were to ask you all, do you believe that you carry the glory of God? Uh, I believe every one of you who knows Jesus, who's a believer, would say absolutely. Now, if I were to ask you, do you always feel like you carry the glory of God? Now we've got a different matter on our hands, don't we? And, um, and so um, I want to talk about I want to talk about the times when we're not feeling it, but in fact, even more specifically, the times when we're feeling like a failure. Because uh, those times happen in every single one of our lives. Uh, there's not a single one of us that goes through life unscathed where uh, we don't make mistakes and we aren't feeling like we're letting God down and all those, all those feelings that kind of come around. Um, but what do you do with those? Well, I want to I look at the life of Peter for a moment. Um, Peter, who I, I'm sure you know the story, so I'm not going to go into detail, but Peter, who on the night of Jesus' arrest, when... 
when, when Peter could no longer be with Jesus, they took Jesus away. But Peter found himself around this uh, charcoal fire, it says in John chapter 18. And um, these Roman guards and other women were asking him, aren't you, aren't you that guy that was around Jesus? Now you have to understand that Peter right about now was feeling like uh, pretty, pretty darn petrified. He was about feeling like he was going to lose his life, that he was going to be um, experiencing the same fate as Jesus. And so three times he said, no, I don't know the guy. Peter left that uh, encounter weeping bitterly and feeling like a total and abject, abject failure. In, you know, as he's looking back on the incident, he's thinking the time when, when Jesus needed me the most. I, he was working with me for three years for that moment, and I let him down. Peter, who said, Lord, I'll do anything for you. I'll, I'll fight to the death for you. And, and fear got a hold of his heart and gripped him, and, and he said, I, I don't know the guy. So Jesus goes to the cross. He dies and uh, is raised again from the dead. And several times he makes himself known and shows himself to his disciples to let them know, hey, I'm alive. The nails are still there from, from the, the wounds on the cross, but I am alive. One of those times that's recorded in John, uh, I believe it's chapter 21, yeah, is, is when the guys are out uh, fishing all night, they kind of went back to what they were doing because they didn't know what else to do. And I believe especially Peter was thinking, well, you know what? I pretty much failed, so I think I'm done. I have, I have no idea how Jesus is going to use me now. I, I, don't, I have no idea what to do, so I'm just going to go back and fish. It's what I know. So they're out fishing all night. They catch absolutely Zippo. And Jesus is on the shore. He's cooking up some fish for him that they don't know about yet. And he says, hey, friends. They don't know it's Jesus yet, but they, he says, hey, friends. I don't know if you ever thought about it right there. He's calling them friends. They haven't had a chance to apologize yet. He hasn't told them anything about, gosh, why did you guys desert me? He says, hey, friends. And he says, why don't you throw the net on the other side? See how that works for you. They pull in this huge amount of fish. And John, one of the disciples who's, who's really close to Jesus' heart, suddenly he knows, it's the Lord. I've seen this one before. I know who this guy is. This is the Lord. I love this, though. Peter, the story says they're about 100 yards off the shore. Peter cannot wait. He jumps into the water to get to Jesus. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because Peter, who already, he was feeling like a failure, but you know what? When his heart sees that it's the Lord, the emotions inside of himself, the love that he does have for Jesus, he couldn't deny it. Before he even thinks about it, he's in the water. He's not going to wait for them to row in these, this catch of fish. He's, he's getting there first. So he gets to the shore, and a very interesting uh, part of this story, detail of the story, is that Jesus is cooking this, uh, this fish, 
on a charcoal fire. Don't know if you ever caught that before, but it's in there. It's John 18, 18 is the charcoal fire where Peter denies him. John 21, 9, it says a charcoal fire. Well, that's kind of an interesting little tidbit that the author would put in there, isn't it? It's just not just a fire, it's a charcoal fire. Why? Well, because it's got a certain smell to it. It's got a certain aroma. Jesus was bringing Peter right back into the same atmosphere to say, Peter, (laughs) I'm going to bring you right back here. Only this time, I'm going to make sure that you pass with flying colors. And he doesn't, Jesus doesn't scold him. He doesn't say, what's your problem? He doesn't say, how could you? He says, Peter, do you love me? And again, you know the story. He tells it, he asks him three times. Peter denied him three times. Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Jesus did know Peter. He knew him very well. He knew him better than Peter knew himself. Jesus already knew that Peter loved him. But he's saying to Peter, Peter, you need to hear it for yourself. You need to know that you love me. You need to know it. You need to hear yourself saying it. I know you love me. He's saying, Peter, I'm not disqualifying you. Forget about it. Peter, you're my man. You've been my man. You're still my man. Let's get back up on the horse and let's keep going. We've got a world to change, Peter. Let's go feed some sheep. Go, go tell the sheep about my love and my grace. Go tell them about my papa. Go lead the herding lambs back to their father who loves them so much. I need you, Peter. I need you in the game. There's nowhere in this story where you, where you see Peter saying, God, Jesus, I'm so sorry about this and this and this. Peter just, I mean, Jesus just gets right to it and says, Peter, let's go. Come on, let's go. Nothing's changed, Peter, nothing at all. And you want to know what the amazing thing is? I mean, if that isn't amazing enough, the amazing thing is Peter was not, Jesus not only re, um, strengthened Peter's heart, but the amazing thing is, is that Peter then, his life then, made a huge difference for the sake of the kingdom from that point on. This Peter, who didn't believe that God could use him anymore, who believed that he had so failed God that he was not usable, any of you feel like that? You want to hear what Peter did? This Peter who's going to throw in the towel? 
Check this out. In Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit comes in power, it's Peter who gets up and preaches to the crowds and 3,000 people come rushing into God's kingdom that day. In Acts 3, it's Peter and John who stretch out their hands, heal the crippled man at the gate called Beautiful, and it's Peter who once again speaks to the crowds where 2,000 more people are drawn into God's kingdom. In Acts 4, Peter is no longer bound by fear or unbelief. He's put in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus. And even when threatened with his life, he continues to preach to the furious council about his Savior, Jesus. In Acts 5, Peter's shadow is healing people. Come on. The power and the glory of God is pouring forth from him. In Acts 9, it's Peter who heals the paralytic. And as a result, everyone in the towns of Lydda and Sharon want to follow Jesus. Also in Acts 9, it's Peter who raises a woman from the dead. And many in the town of Jaffa choose to believe in Jesus. Peter ends up so free from past fear and doubt that he sleeps soundly between two guards while imprisoned in jail when an angelic jailbreak sets him free. Peter died a martyr's death, boldly proclaiming the kingdom and standing up for his savior until the very moment that he saw Jesus face to face. This was the guy that wanted to throw in the towel. This was the guy that said, you can't use me, Jesus. I'm a blow-it case. Jesus says, no, I think you got the wrong man. Because I see the real one. Meant to do this earlier, sorry. There you go, there's that charcoal fire. Which is a good time to bring it up, actually, because every person in this room, you got reasons why you ought to be disqualified. Every person in this room has got secrets about your past that you're not super proud of that, that uh, you would not prefer to let a whole bunch of people know about. That's, you know what? The Lord knows that. And, and actually, again, that's every single person in this room. No one's exempt. Do you know why? Because we all need a savior big time. I don't know why we're thinking we don't. I don't know why we're thinking that, you know, we just needed him for one day of our life. And then that's good. We got it from here, God. We're good now. No, no, we need, we need a savior every day of our lives, desperately. So, you're not disqualified. In fact, Jesus has pre-qualified you to make a huge difference in his kingdom, every day of your life, whether you feel like it or not, whether you're feeling the glory or not, you carry it. That's just the way it is. The reality is that um, often... I would say most of the time we're our own worst enemy. 
I, I know sometimes people can say really bad things about you that aren't good, that aren't fun. Wish that didn't happen. But honestly, most of the beating up happens at our own hands. Usually it's right here, of course, in the mind. And we're, we're, we're thrashing ourselves and we're, telling, we're, we're convincing ourselves that we just don't got it. We're not good enough. We're, we're convincing ourselves of all the reasons why, you know, God made the wrong choice when he picked me. No, no, he didn't. And so we need to remember why he picked us. We need to see what he sees. I'm going to, in one second, I'm going to play a, a, a track for you from a, a CD that I just found recently. It's from a woman named Laura Reinhardt, great, amazing worshiper. And um, I, like to, I like to soak. I like to take time to sit with the Lord. Because like you, I can get barraged with the things of the world that wear me down. I can also get barraged with my own self-talk if I allow it to happen. And so I need times. When God says to be still and know that I'm God, he means exactly that. Don't go from one thing to the next 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 and wonder why your life isn't changing when you're not taking time to sit with the one who loves you, who knows you, who's going to get you out of those feelings of shame and condemnation by telling you the truth. So we're going to listen to this for a moment because I believe even when I shared about Peter and about his failure, I believe there's some things that even in your hearts that God's been stirring in you, things that you need to, to do like this with, to get rid of, to say, you know what, those things are not going to hold me back anymore. That's not an excuse anymore, Lord, for me not to, to be loved by you, for me not to uh, be used by you. Those, those, those are excuses are, are null and void for me, but you've got to stop and agree. So I'm gonna, we're going to listen to a, uh, a CD uh, track, and I want you to take just a few minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you a little bit from the Father's heart for you. Uh, but this is a time, if you need, if you want to just for, I'm, I'm going to preach a little bit more after this, but if you want to come and lay down or lay down on the seats next to you or whatever you want to do to get comfortable, to be in a place, get on your knees, whatever you want to do, uh, this is a time... When we talk about repentance, repentance is not primarily about feeling bad for something that you did, um, that you know that you shouldn't have, that you know wasn't who you were, uh, that who you are in Christ. That's actually not repentance, what repentance primarily is. Repentance is turning to the one who loves you. It's turning away from the thoughts that are destroying you. And a lot of those thoughts, again, are your own thoughts about how bad you think you are. Turning away from those and turning to him and letting his voice tell you who you are. That's a huge part of what repentance is. So let's take a moment to do that right now.
to your Father says to you, my children, my child, I need you to know that you are not a disappointment to me. You're everything I ever wanted. And I knew exactly what I was doing when I chose you. I saw you where you were. I saw that you needed a savior and I came and I got you. Because I love you. Because I see the treasures in you. I see I see the goodness in you. And you aren't going to convince me otherwise because I know what I made when I made you. You're great beyond measure.
Hear my heartbeat for you. Listen closer. It sounds like this. I love you. 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 Something changes when we hear the truth. Something in us changes when we hear the truth. So Peter, when he heard the truth, even from his own lips of how he loved Jesus, knowing that Jesus loved him, knowing that Jesus had a plan for him, knowing that Jesus still was going to use him to change and rock the world, Peter changed. This is one of the words for, for that change. He, he became a man of integrity. This word's been used a lot. Sometimes it's been used, I don't know, as a, a, a weapon to try to make you behave. Be a man of integrity. Be a woman of integrity. 
But I want to tell you, it's not, integrity is not about having the willpower not to do bad things. Integrity is actually the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy actually comes from a root word that means to be an actor. So hypocrisy means I'm going to try to act really good around you so that you'll think a certain way about me, but it's not really who I am. Integrity is you being you to the core of your being, the real you. The you that Jesus says is the real you. The more that you know who he says you are, the more you hear it from him, like Peter heard it from Jesus, you actually start to believe it. Wow, I'm really this great. It's okay to say that. I'm really this great. God may be pretty amazing. I actually am a man of honesty. I'm a man of integrity. Because he made me that way. So integrity isn't trying to be good. It isn't even asking what would Jesus do. You aren't asking what Jesus would do. You are Christ in this world. Asking what he would do is still trying to make the right decisions. But again, I'm not putting that down. I'm saying there's a deeper place to go. That deeper place to go is knowing this is who I am. I'm a lover. I am, I have integrity. I'm full of joy. You know, all the things that you think you are not, even when you rehearse them. I'm, I wish I weren't so darn impatient. I wish I wasn't such an angry person. You know, I'm so angry. No, stop, stop repeating those things and start asking Jesus, who do you say that I am? Because if your goal is just to not be as angry or, you know, fill in the blank, uh, that'll work for a little while. But that's, that's not Integrity. Integrity is walking in who you are through and through. Because you know who you are. And who you are is amazing. Ephesians 4 1 in the mirror translation says it like this. Paul writes, he says, as one captive in the Lord, I urgently appeal to you, therefore, with reference to your original identity, to conduct your life in such a way that your every move bears witness to the weight and value of who you really are. Paul is not saying, act like a Christian. He's saying, know who you are. With reference to your original identity, in other words, who God says the real you is. Conduct your life in such a way that your every move bears witness to the weight 
and the value of who you really are. That's chapter four. Paul spent the first three chapters telling you how great you are, telling you the weight of your glory, telling you everything Jesus has done on your behalf. I'm going to go back and read five verses just to give you a taste of what he was saying because it makes this sentence make so much more sense. You understand why he's saying be who you are? Because he just spent chapters telling you who you are. But check this out. This is, again, in the mirror translation, starting with verse 7 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. He says, just soak this in for a minute. Take this in. Holy Spirit, help us to get this right here. Since we are in him, in Christ. Where are you? Good answer. His blood is the ransom that secures our redemption. His forgiving our sins, his forgiving us our sins, measures the wealth of his grace. So your sins are forgiven. They're washed. They're gone. This grace shown towards us communicates a wisdom and a discernment of our worth that completely surpasses any definition. Or as my really good friend Art Fuller likes to say, you are worth more to God than himself. Think about that one. The secret is ours. His cherished love dream now unfolds in front of our very eyes. In the economy of the fullness of time, everything culminates in Christ. All that is in heaven, all that's on the earth is reconciled in him. This is how we fit into God's picture. Christ is the measure of our portion. Did you get that? Christ, okay, how how much do you have? How valuable are you to God? How much do you have? You ever said, God, I don't have what I need. He says, oh, let me tell you what your portion is. It's Christ himself. That's how rich you are. We are in him, invented and defined in him. God's blueprint, his blueprint intention is on exhibition in us. (laughs) I don't know if you're getting this. (laughs) You carry his glory. You are walking, breathing bringers of Christ's glory everywhere you go. Exactly like that. We are in him, invented and defined in him. God's blueprint intention is on exhibition in us. Everything he accomplishes is inspired by the energy and the intent of his affection. It's his love for you that's going to make sure it happens. You read in Isaiah where he makes a promise and he says, my jealous love will accomplish this. How do we know it's going to happen? 
Paul says in, in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began the good work in you is going to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How can he know that? Oh, because, because Paul met Jesus. He met the author of love. He knows how stubborn God's love is. We keep thinking, well, clearly I'm the, the one blow it case that God can't make up for. Maybe other people, not me. Do you see how ridiculous that sounds? But we do it all the time to ourselves. You just got to put it out there to hear how silly it is. Because that kind of diffuses the enemy's lies. Because you know, all, all the enemy has is, is deception. You understand that, right? Here's another. We could, the list is infinite. What has been purchased for you in Christ. Who you really are. One of them is that the enemy's got nothing on you. Really. Really, really. Colossians 2 says that Jesus has already paraded him around in public as a spectacle behind him because of what he accomplished for you on the cross. So why does it seem like the enemy has power? Because we give it to him when we agree with his lies. He has no power over us. If we don't, if we don't bite on his lies, if we don't take the bait, it, it loses its effect on us. It's true. It's 100% true. And Jesus, who lives in you, already knows which bait you don't supposed to bite. If you want to listen to him, he'll tell you. Now, that's not a good one. You don't want to be going there. And the enemy says, rats, let me try again later. But the enemy has nothing on you because Christ already took that from you. Christ already defeated him on the cross. That's one of the things. I'm just saying... Do you see what the truth does? Are you feeling the lightness in the air? You know, we get so burdened. We get so down on ourselves. And, and the weight of the world is just awful. And all of a sudden, you get in the truth. And you're like, oh. Oh, this isn't so bad. The light of the world is on me. He happens to adore me. He says that, He's going to finish what he started in me. I mean, I, it just gets better and better and better. But you do have to know the truth. Because that's what makes you an integrous person. Do you see the difference? The integrous person is not one who says, I will never make a mistake. I'll never make a wrong choice. Because I know better and so I just won't do that again. How's that working for you? The integrous person sits himself down with the Lord often and says, who do you say that I am? When you look at me, what do you see? 
Because the more you hear him tell you what he sees, that's what you will walk in. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. So after Paul says, know, know the, the worth, the weight of your worth, I want to read a couple more verses in chapter 4. Because he does go on to talk about, he talks about some things that are destructive. Understand something though, most Christians will jump to chapter 4 later in Ephesians, or they'll jump to chapter 3 in Colossians, and they'll, in fact, if you have the NIV or some other translations like that, over Colossians chapter 3, it will say rules for holy living. I want to tell you something that's not in the scriptures. That was, that was some uh, Bible editors who thought that that little title would help you to follow along with what's going on in the story. They added those titles for your benefit, which I'm not saying is a bad thing to do. I'm saying in this particular case, that was a misnomer because it brings you right back into what I just told you won't work. Rules for holy living. Rules for holy living will not work. If you memorize the rules for holy living, that will not make you a more integrous person. You need to know who you are. You need to know who the Lord says you are, and then you will walk in it. You will walk in the ways of love. He says, hey, if you love, you're going to fulfill it all anyway. If you love yourself so that you're not going to hurt yourself with if you love others around you, you're actually, not, you're actually going to fulfill all the very things that make you that integrous person. So my point of that was, whenever, like in Ephesians 4 or in, in Colossians 3, when Paul's telling you some things, things that are good for you, things that are not good for you, he's not giving you rules for holy living. He is saying is, in light of everything I just laid out for you in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, in Colossians 1 and 2, you know the greatness of Christ. You know he lives in you. This is what it looks like. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference there. So this is what, this is what Paul says in chapter 4, starting with verse 17 of Ephesians. My most urgent appeal to you in the Lord is this. You have, you have nothing in common with the f- uh, folly of the empty-minded masses. The days of conducting your life and affairs in a meaningless way are over. He's not telling you, shame on you, live better. He's saying, you know that stuff in the world has nothing to do with you. You're an integrous person. That isn't you. Their understanding is veiled. They're meaning the, those that don't know the Lord yet. Their understanding is veiled by an interception of light. Therefore, the life of God remains obscure and foreign to them because ignorance blindfolds their hearts. Having become conditioned to a life distanced from God, those are, these are those that don't know him, calloused in spirit, then lust and greed They're driven by lust and greed, and they have totally abandoned themselves to outrageous, shameful living. Of what total contrast is Christ? Again, he's not, this isn't this finger of shame at you. He's saying, that stuff, that that has nothing to do with Christ. You are in Christ. It is not possible to study Christ in any other context. He is the incarnation, 
So hear him resonate in you. Like that tuning fork. Christ resonates all the way through you. Now, now, because you know this, because you know Christ is in you, resonates in you, now you are free to strip off that old identity like a filthy, worn-out garment. Lust corrupted you and cheated you into wearing it. You thought that was who you were. Paul's saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. You could tell God a hundred times, oh, I'm this awful person. You say, no, you're not. <laughs> no, really, God, if you knew how bad I was, mm, no, you're not. If you knew how good my Savior, my Jesus is, you wouldn't say that anymore. Pondering the incarnation, which is Christ coming to the earth, Christ in a human form. So pondering the incarnation, the truth about you displayed in Christ will cause you to be completely reprogrammed in the way you think about yourself. You are not going to change yourself for God. Stop that program right now. Right now. Do not spend another day Want to talk about wasted money on a program? Do not do that one anymore. Don't tell, your, don't tell God what you're going to do for him, how you're going to change yourself for him. Instead, as you know who you are, who Christ says you are, that's what pre-programs the way you think about yourself. When you start thinking about yourself the right way, you start living that way. Immerse yourself fully into this God-shaped new man from above or new woman. You are created in the image and likeness of God. And this is what righteousness and true holiness are all about. Why are you righteous and holy? Christ is in you. It's who he is in you. So check this out. Show me your glory. Moses, Exodus 33, says, God, show me your glory. And God says, all right then. I like that. I like that you asked me that. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do, Moses. I'm going to let my goodness pass right before you. I'm going to show you my character. I'm going to show you how good I am. That's the old covenant. Sometimes we read that story and we think, man, I wish I was Moses. (laughs) Dang. He got to see the backside of God, it says, actually. As he went by and he got to know He heard God somehow, his own voice, how great he was, how amazing, how compassionate, how loving, merciful he is. 
dang, I, I wish I was like Moses. No, really, you don't. Because you got it way better than that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Read this later for yourself. It's a fascinating chapter. It talks about the difference between the old and the new covenant here. And specifically about the glory of God and about Moses. And it says, you know, when he came down and he, he showed the people, told the people uh, what God had said after he met with God. When he came down the mountain. Uh, it says that after he met with the people, he put the veil over him because he didn't want him to see the glory fading. Why? Because it was external. God's goodness passed before him. You are in the new covenant of grace. God's goodness lives in you. That goodness that passed before Moses has made his home in you. That makes you great beyond measure. You're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, we just look like people, don't we? Now, have you ever really looked at people who spend a lot of time with God? They just start to glow all over the place. They leak all over the place. They can't help it. Here's the thing. In the old covenant, you ready for this? In the old covenant, when Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, God's goodness passed before him. In the new covenant, when we say, Lord, show me your glory, God's answer is, look in the mirror. And I'm telling you, this is true. This is 100% true. This last week, I, I've been getting this more and more and more. It's so true. We don't know who we are. Once we know who we are, we are great beyond measure. We start living it because it's just the way it is. The other day, I was, I was walking, it was when I was writing, I was in that boathouse, and I was walking towards the, the, the bathroom with this thought in my mind of, look in the mirror. And as I was walking, just before I turned the corner, I said, God, show me your glory, out loud. Ah! I'm walk exactly, I'm walking towards the bathroom. I know I'm going to turn the corner, and there's going to be the mirror. And I said, God, show me your glory. And I walk, I turn the corner, and I'm looking in my eyes. And I, for several minutes, it's like, oh my, it, there you are, Jesus, there you are. I'm, I carry your glory. I carry it. I release it. Everywhere I go, so do you. The more you know it, the, the more it's released. I, I, you aren't going to get any more than you already have, but there is something about knowing it that causes it to, to rise up and to release it. So here's what I'm going to tell you. You ready for this? Look in the mirror. You think I'm kidding. When you go home tonight, 
Look in the mirror, but before you do, I want you to say, Lord, show me your glory. I'm, this is the change that's upon us, friends. This is what's going on. When we talk about God taking over the earth, it isn't like there's going to be some alien ships coming, you know, and whatever. It's us. We're, revival is us. Revival is us figuring out what we already carry. That's what revival is. It's seeing, revival is breathing life again. Revival means new life. Breathing life again into the ones that already have it. Revival's for us. Revival's gonna bring in the harvest, but revival's for the church. Because God's saying, oh church, have I got a surprise for you. It's been hiding right inside of you. It's Christ in you. Look in the mirror. Look closer. Look closer. Here's one more. Look deeper. Look deeper. Because he's in you. And he's coming out of you to this world who needs him. How could he disqualify you when he's made his home in you? What's he going to do? Disqualify himself? (laughs) Do you see how amazing this is? You're his choice. Get over it. Get back on the horse. Get back in the game. Keep going. But I will tell you, the world, and you know this, the world's going to try to wear you down because the world who does not know him isn't going to feed you with all this good, yummy stuff like this to keep reminding you of who you are, which is why you have to continually go back to the source. Jesus said, eat of me, drink of me, come. I'm your daily bread. I'm your daily bread. You got to get this bread to know who you are daily. Because again, the world tries to wear you down. And if that's the only diet you're getting, it's, a, it's just a matter of time before you completely forget who you are. Doesn't mean you're a failure, it means you need to go back to the source. Jesus, who do you say that I am? Okay. That's what we're going to do. This is good, huh? I can feel the, I can feel it. I feel, you get, there's energy in this place. You guys are getting this. This is good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand. Go ahead and stand up. I want to, I want to ask, or we're going to say, I believe it's four. We're going to make four declarations together. I'm into declarations. I'm into them because God's into them. And the reason why is especially when you say them out loud is because you are absolutely, your vocal cords are absolutely prophesying to yourself. You are telling yourself the truth. The more you hear the truth, I guarantee you it changes you. Even if you don't think it does at first. You, many of you have heard this story many times from me. In fact, the title of my book is called Daddy, You Love Me. Because for years before I really got the Father's love, 
I would say, Daddy, you love me. And I would say it like I meant it. And somewhere along the way, I actually started to feel it and I knew it was true. And no, no one can steal that from me ever again. My daddy is wildly, passionately in love with me every second of every day as his beloved son. And it doesn't have a darn thing to do with what I do or don't do for him. Nobody can tell me otherwise. I got it to the core of my being now. It's why I'm a happy camper. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the truth does set you free. But it's really important that you say it out loud. Even when you're in your own times with the Lord. Nothing wrong with having quiet times where you're thinking about him. But I want to tell you, so especially if you're feeling like you need a breakthrough, like, Lord, I want to know you more. You just you aren't, don't seem as real as I'd like you to. Start talking out loud more. I'm telling you, it will make a difference if you haven't done that. Talk to him out loud more. Talk to yourself more about the truth of what he says. So we're going to say these four declarations. And then at the end of that, I just want to, we're going to invite you up for prayer if you want that. And so... Earlier, Bill had another one of his amazing uh, prophetic uh, school, the School of the Prophets for those that are, are learning. And um, that's always the first Saturday of every month. So if you missed it this time, it'll be the first Saturday next month. And it's at 4.30 right before um, church downstairs. But he invited several of you to minister. So um, if you would like to do that, please, as soon as we're done with these, I'm going to ask you to come up and minister. So here we go. Four declarations. Here's the first one. I want you to say them out loud with me. I carry God's glory. We're going to say that one again. Are you ready? I carry God's glory. Why, yes, you do. Here's another one. I am great beyond measure. Did that feel a little uncomfortable to you? Some of you, maybe that was really easy. Especially if you're like me or you're, you're a youngest born. You just, you know, it's kind of the way you think. No, I'm just kidding. But, but for some of you, that's hard. So we're going to say it again. Are you ready? You got to say it like you mean it, though. I am great beyond measure. I am looking at a whole lot of great people in front of me. All right, here's one. I am made for intimacy with the Lord. Why do you exist above anything else? Intimacy with the Lord. There's a catechism I learned many years ago. What's the chief end of, of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, we get, we get things way out of whack because of all the things we think we're supposed to do for God and how we don't think we're where we're supposed to be in life and yada, yada, yada. God says, how about you enjoy me like I enjoy you? Let's make that the goal of every day. How, how does that work for you? One more time. I am made for intimacy with the Lord. Yes, you are. Now, what are you going to do with that? I bring his presence with me everywhere I go. 
Yes, you do. Do you bring his presence even when you don't feel like it? Yeah, you do. You actually do. I can't tell you. I can tell you. There are times when I've prayed for people and I'm like, I'm not feeling it. I'm just okay. I'm going to do this because I know the Lord said to and I'm sure it's good. But And all of a sudden, something dramatically awesome happens to this person. They're healed of whatever or depression leaves or whatever. Like, well, that was cool. That certainly had nothing to do with how I was feeling. So, this is the last one. We're saying it one more time. I bring his presence with me everywhere I go. So, if you're going to be praying for people, please come forward. And I'm going to commission you right now. And I'm going to commission you and tell you, you carry the glory of God with you. Christ in you everywhere you go. Therefore, every single one of you, the moment you said yes to Jesus, you became, are you ready for this? A full-time minister of the gospel. Yes, you did. You're like, well, I don't have my ordination papers. The Lord says, I'm not interested. You are a full-time minister of the gospel, which means you carry the good news with you wherever you go. It's that simple. Let's not make a big theological thing about this you carry Jesus with you in the stores in the schools in your homes you carry him with you so the integrous person that you are is that the more you know of what you carry in Christ you live it out it's just who you are amen amen Amen. I'm not seeing any teams come on up teams who's going to be praying yeah come on up let's have some of the teams up here because here's the deal the truth does set you free. And, uh, and if you were like specifically tonight saying, I'd like more of that truth, please. Yeah, spread out up here. If you're saying, I'd like more of that truth, please, by all means, come and get it. Okay? Just come and get it. There's that, one of the songs I love at Bethel Church. Um, I don't remember the name of the song, but in it, she says, if you want it, come and get it for crying out loud. <laughs> so, so I'm saying the same thing I'm saying if you have more of a desire for the Lord just come and get encouraged more you go though and spend time with him alone asking him to show you who you are and tonight when you get in front of that mirror I want you to say Lord show me your glory amen alright you guys rock <laughs>